This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Today on Dreamland, we have a new guest, someone who has never been on the show before and who is coming to the show for a lot of fascinating reasons. Uh, and I'm going to let her tell you about that. Her name is Anne Tyler. She's the uh, runs something called the Tyler Institute. And and can you tell us a little bit, let's just start without me really making an introduction, because you're new to the show, and you're new to my guests, my, excuse me, my listeners, and I'd like you to tell us what happened between you and me that brought you here in the first place. Oh, that's a long, interesting story. And I I think I need to start with who I am and how I came into this world um, because it's such a new thing. And that's a big part of our story together. Um, I'm a psychotherapist in Minnesota. I'm just a Midwesterner with a couple of kids who are now grown and 21. And um, I have not been a part of any um, world that deals with UFOs or with anomalous experiences or any of that. I mean, I've had my private practice. I homeschooled my kids for quite a while, and my practice specializes in um, gifted and talented children and adults, highly creative. And I thought that was going to be my life until I retired, my career life and my personal life. Um, until eight months ago, um, all of a sudden experiences started happening to me, and it was very surprising and shocking. Um, luckily, I had people around me that could help um, and guide me through it. I've been talking with people and going to support groups for the last eight months. Um, lots of awareness of what ET contact is and all the other anomalous experiences that can go along with that. And, you know, we just don't even know um, the categories, right? Like there's so much that happens. So I was only five months into that um, experience by the time you and I met. Um, I had had almost constant experiencing for that five months, um, lots of people around me to help with that. But I hadn't read much or watched videos. I just, I still don't know that much about this world. Um, I'm, I'm slowly coming into that, but I've kind of been trusting my own experiences and talking with those that I trust. But you and I showed up at the same place at Rice University for a conference. Yeah. And there was actually some things that happened before that, too. So in January of this year, I um, I got an audio book out of A New World of yours, and it was your voice reading it. And like I said, I haven't read much, but I got on the treadmill and I thought, you know, I should start listening to things and start learning. And... Um, I didn't get very far in the book because what happened when I started listening to your voice reading that book was all of a sudden I had visions of you and I'd never met you or seen you. I had um, visions of you coming to me talking about death. And I was talking like, oh, about, that's interesting. Say again, it, it dropped out. Yeah, we were talking about death. I only knew that death. that was the topic. Yeah, Yeah, yeah okay. And I... I don't know what we said, but we had some in-depth conversations, and um, I didn't really know what that was. But then <laughs> after that, you kind of came and visited me 
every day for conversations in my mind or wherever that is that we go. And I was just like, okay, Whitley's here again. And I just, I didn't know what to do with that because <laughs> this is again, all new to me. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just put Whitley and I in the back of my head and we can just go have our conversations, whatever that is. And so then I was watching an interview with Leslie Kane and she was talking about the um, archives of the impossible. And the moment she mentioned it, she said that um, your letters from communion, um, when you wrote that book, the letters that people wrote, you were going to be in that archive. And I immediately stopped the podcast and I looked it up because I'm like, I need to go to that archive. I, I had like um, a very strong intuitive feeling that I had to go down there and see those letters. And it's totally irrational to me, but I, I have always had a good sense of intuition. So I'm like, okay, I'll do that. So I went to the website and I noticed that they were, they were having that conference and um, a lot of people were coming that are very serious about this field and I'm more of an academician. And so that was really appealing to me to hear people talk about anomalous experiences and to take it seriously and have um, a lot of university people in addition to scientists and other people um, talking about this. So I thought, wow, I get to see the archive and hear all these people talk. And I was really excited about that. So I thought, okay, that's probably why I've been talking to Whitley in my head because I'm supposed to go down there and look at those letters in the archive. So I'm like, okay, that's over. So now I got the message. So, you know, went to the conference and I'm like, okay, maybe I'll see Whitley. He presents. He'll probably just come in for a day and present and leave. Maybe I'll get to say hi to him, but I'm here for the archive. Okay, that's good. And so the first day before the conference began, I'm like, okay, I'm getting in that archive. I want to see those letters because these are experiencers and they have written these letters many years ago in the 80s and 90s. And to me, this felt very significant that they were telling their story. And, you know, some of them may still be alive, um, but they didn't have the internet, you know, to look things up or to ask people questions. And I just wanted to see what these experiencers were talking about um, back many years ago. So I went to the archive. I had arranged to go in there the day before the conference. And um, I talked to the librarian when I came in and said, OK, I'm here to see the Whitley Strieber letters. And she just kind of waves her hand and is like, oh, Whitley has all those out. And he's sitting right here. Um, <laughs> looking I was at the waiting letters. for you, my dear. <laughs> you were waiting for me. Yeah. And it was <laughs> it was so shocking to me because I'm like, oh, I didn't expect to meet Whitley. So <laughs> now what do I do? And then I thought, well, I don't want to bother you because you were working in the letters. And I'm a Midwesterner. We don't like to bother people, especially yeah, when they're but working. That was not what this was about. So it worked fine. It wasn't at all. It wasn't at all. And I'm like, OK, so if I want to see those letters, I've got to bother Whitley because <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, he's got them all out. So, you know, I just kind of awkwardly introduced myself, had no idea what to say to you. But you were so kind and you gave me that first box of letters as you were working and I set up at the next table um, and as I pulled the letters out, you know, I just kind of look up and go, wow, you know, I'm reading the letters and I, Whitley's right in front of me. And it, I just thought that was such um, a special moment to be able to sit down with those letters for the first time with you in the room. 
And not only that, you know, when I pulled out that first letter, um, I've got it sitting right here next to me, um, the very first letter that was in the archive. And within the first paragraph, I, I got sort of hits of recognition and connection because the person who was talking <clears throat> was literally talking about experiences she had in Council Bluffs, Iowa in 1983 and 84, where I spent almost every month time at my sister's house. And it just kind of hit me, you know, how the people who have these experiences live everywhere. You know, you think nothing can happen in isolated areas. Um, but the letters were so heartfelt and so detailed, and they could have been any story that people tell today about what happened to them and how it impacted their lives. And when I got to letter number nine, I all of a sudden started noticing um, notes that were made in the margins. And, um, you know, I was already tearing up several times because it's very touching reading these letters. And I was tearing up at these notes. And I was like, I suddenly remember Jeffrey Kripal in his talk earlier had said that when he was in the letters, he saw a lot of annotations by Ann Streber. And I realized that that was probably her handwriting. It was. And so, yes. And so that's when I got up and bothering Whitley again. So I came over to you. <laughs> And that's when I asked you if that was her handwriting, because it just felt very significant to me. And you were so kind and said yes, and you know how much work she had done in those letters and the notes that she had taken. There was great care in what she was doing in those files. And, you know, it just, it just felt like her presence was there too, you know, that. Yeah, it was, um, you can be sure. Yes, and it was such a calm, connection um and i feel that every time i see her handwriting and that you know she is caretaking these letters yes she is um and so then you were kind enough to ask me and the friend who was with me in the archive to lunch you're like do you want to go to lunch we're like yes you know <laughs> we would love to talk to you further um and that was really enjoyable to kind of hear what you're working on and um, to talk about what our interest is in the archives. And I was sharing with you sort of emphatically, intuitively again, that, you know, these, these letters are really important and that there's a lot of researchers who are going to be able to do a lot with these. Yes. Um, to help experiencers and to really get um, some good information out. And as a clinician, I'm really interested in what can help them heal and, and the impact on their lives. And um, so we kind of discussed how to help the letters be more accessible through digitizing and um, just brainstorming different ideas. Um, digitizing letters is so important and it's very costly. And we yes. need to get a grant to do that. Uh, I have, um, mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to talk to Jeff about maybe getting a grant finding if we can uh, get uh, his department at rice to uh, do a grant uh, request and send it out maybe we can get a grant to do it because it's going to cost in the in the mid six figures at least to do that 
because so many of the letters are handwritten. But once that is done, then that archive can be, so much can be done once it's digitized. Among other things, there are now very sophisticated AI programs, and they are not conscious folks. Don't even go there. Uh, that's all a lot of internet hooey. Uh, but they are very, very fine indexing systems is what they are. And we can learn so much from this. Uh, right now, the main indexing system that's really at work is in here. And I'm working, writing a book about the letters, uh, uh, analyzing the letters, uh, groups of letters. And the amazing thing is that with Anne's help, I never every letter that I found when we were there in the archive was useful in the book. I didn't have to <gasps> poke through anything. I just had to pull a letter out and it was perfect for the book. And she's, I decided, well, it has to be. And so this was all going on while you were working on the other <laughs> side. And, and we had, we had been, I, I didn't really know it was you personally, but we had been, I had been aware that, she was bringing in someone that I was going to meet who had a lot of serious skills who could help the close encounter witnesses. Uh, and there are other people in this field too, but it needs many more. And you know, you're the, you're, as long as this field has existed, you're still one of the pioneers because there is so much resistance and so much social opprobrium. Now, Free Dreamlanders, we're going to do a brief break for you. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk to Anne about the experiences that drew her into this in the first place. Have you ever read Communion? Or have you never read Communion? It's out in a new edition. Very powerful, a subtly new cover that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us because they truly are. You can get it from the unknowncountry.com store as a Kindle, as a beautiful, sumptuous paperback, or as an unabridged audiobook read by me. It's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read in full, in audio format, and believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories, into it, and I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion. Listen to it. Read it. Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. The UNX Network delivers quality paranormal programming, video and audio streams, all kinds of shows. Jimmy Church is there. Dreamland is there in the free version. So go to unxnetwork.com and you'll receive your monthly newsletter, blog access, event notices, and a free digital copy of their quarterly magazine. How can you go wrong? Check it out. UNXNetwork.com. So, Anne, uh, let's go back to your what drew you in, because this is an experience. 
it's looking for help at, at another level, at a soul level. And you were chosen, quite frankly, to, 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 to help us. Uh, can you tell us about the first experience that you had that began to draw you toward this? Well, it's, it's interesting because it was at the beginning of October last year in 2021. And prior to that, I had started listening to a podcast by Stuart Davis um, called Aliens and Artists. And the only reason I was listening to that is because I've known of Stuart for 25 years through other channels like uh, the Integral Movement, Buddhism, High Creativity, and really respected him. And so I thought, well, if he's doing a project like this, um, he's going to do it thoughtfully. And so I'm like, let's see what let's see what he what he's up to, because um, I don't know anything about that field. And so I did listen. And um, the only things on his podcast are stories of experiencers lives and what they went through. And so he's he has many hours on there. And so each night I started listening to that. Um, and I, I really didn't know what people were talking about. You know, this is all new. So I got all the way through the podcast episodes and then I realized for some reason I had trouble remembering a lot of it, which was unusual for me. And so I started listening again. And the second time around, I started getting these somatic experiences in my body, um, you know, like these drops of fear or nervousness or strange feelings that I didn't recognize. And I, I didn't really understand that. Um, and then all of a sudden, when I was listening to one of the episodes, with, um, I believe it was Kirsten Blackburn, um, I all of a sudden had to stop it. This was that intuitive, you must stop and do something now. And I ended up calling um, a few people. Um, they were talking about Kay Randall May, and so I called her, she's a medical intuitive. And I thought, well, you know, I'll just I'll just get um, a body reading, you know, that's, that's why I'm calling it. And all of a sudden I found myself, um, arranging to go to Yvonne Smith's training. I do, I do hypnotherapy and have for, you know, 15 years in the healing modalities. Um, so I thought, well, I'll just go to that and learn, you know, what this stuff's about. And then all of a sudden I was, I was calling Stuart Davis to talk to him. Oh, I'll just talk to him, you know, just to, just to learn about this world. Well, I showed up with Stuart a few days later and I was like, Stuart, I have no idea why I'm here. I've never had anything strange happen to me. And, oh, but there was that one time when I was a child when there seemed to be like a, a lot of missing time um, and a few other weird things. Uh, but no, I haven't had anything strange happen to me. So, <laughs> you know, that's famous last words, right? You know, so I go to Yvonne Smith's training and before it even began, I was in the hotel room and um, I had noticed on the plane that I was already starting to like experience some kind of strange altered state of some kind and time was getting really wobbly with me and I sort of laid down to take a nap and you know sort of immediately I sort of noticed that um, I woke up really soon and was paralyzed um, and there was this sort of energy source energy ball um, in my solar plexus area, I didn't really have a visual. All I could do was feel it. And this energy um, ball, whatever it was, was moving around very systematically. I could feel exactly where it was. Um, wasn't painful, 
But then I all of a sudden got a vision of um, an alien that I wouldn't identify, although I kind of suspected it was a mantis and later realized it was. I could see it like from the chest up and there was another being that looked like a gray sort of looking around. And when this mantis came towards me, it, it sort of was, uh, had like a finger pointing. And when it got close to me, um, and either the finger touched me or got close, whatever that was, the orientation of my body completely changed and I sort of lost all sense of space and time and everything. Um, and felt like I was in, I couldn't tell what position I was in and I had no body awareness. Um, and then that kind of settled down and I would get like these sharp zinging in the left side of my head. Um, that hurt, but it was really short. It had very weird, um, pace to it. But that energy ball went on. I was, I was laying there about two and a half hours. This went on for a really long time. And my son was coming soon to that hotel room. And I was wondering, how am I going to get up? I can't even move a finger. And at some point, all of a sudden, I felt a release. And I could move my fingers and it took another half an hour for me to get up and luckily my computer was up and I immediately went over to my computer and I'm a writer and so I wrote down everything that I could remember and I had to have my eyes closed because during this whole experience my eyes hurt really bad and everything was blurry I couldn't see anything in the room when I opened my eyes um, and so I typed it all out with my eyes closed and then I'm like how how do people wake up? I don't even know what this is. And so the only thing I could think of was, I think I need to take a shower. So I walked over to the bathroom and I stood in the doorway and I thought, I don't remember, I don't remember how to take a shower. Um, like, <laughs> what do I need? What are the steps? And it, it, I had to stand there a while and, and try to figure that out. Um, and luckily I, I did. <laughs> and I felt a little better. I felt like I was coming back into my body. And then my son came and was interacting with me and I felt a lot better. Um, like, okay, I don't know what that was and never, never talked about it all weekend when I met other experiencers for the first time. Um, you, you had something happen. You had something happen. Uh, you know, I had, I, I once took a walk with one of the gray people in a neighborhood in San Antonio when I lived there in the nineties, late nineties. And after the walk, I couldn't even understand the English language anymore. Uh, the radio, it was, the, it, the walk ended at about, uh, um, just about, just a little bit before dawn. And the radio would come on and the radio came on and it was Sunday morning. We were going to go to church and <laughs> I couldn't understand what they were saying. I thought, my God, is, is it turned to a Spanish station? But that's not Spanish. It's such a strange, choppy language. And I then I tried to take a shower, and I couldn't feel my skin was completely numbed. I, and so it was like being in a tent. You know, I could hear the shower, shower and feel it sort of inside my body. Then when I got out of the shower, the radio was in English again, and I realized that wasn't the radio it was me i couldn't i was so far gone with this other into this other world and then we tried to go to church and this is before all of the security at airports we ended up almost driving onto a runway at the airport while trying to get it to a church that i've been going to since i was three years old <laughs> so i yeah. hear you about that kind of 
wild thing, but I want to ask you a question. Do you have any specific sense of what might have happened during whatever time, whatever took you out of this world, even though you don't have much memory of it at all? Well, in that moment, you know, I was there to, uh, you know, I wondered if it was um, them showing me memories of things that had happened to me or if it was scans, you know, adjustments. Um, I don't know if I went anywhere. I haven't done a regression on that. Um, so it's kind of a mystery. You know, I had um, a lot of my experiences come in series of three. Um, and so there were two other experiences that followed that that all seemed to do with either adjustments to my body or getting me to remember what has happened to my body. Um, and the other ones had more specific um, memories of abduction, lifelong experiencing. And um, I've been calling most of what's happened to me in the last eight months is a tour like, you know, it's time to remember all these different aspects of what's been happening to you your whole life. And sometimes I get more conscious memories than others. Um, I do have memories of, um, you know, encounters. Uh, that first one that I was like, nothing weird has ever happened except that one time there was missing time. Um, <laughs> I do have conscious memories that have come back to me, I think, assisted by my friend Carol, who was with me at the time around her birthday in April, um, where we were at a park and we thought we'd been there about an hour. And by the time we got home, it was dusk. The adults were all alarmed. The police had been out looking for us and we lived in a very, very small town. And um, we talked about it for years. We couldn't understand what happened. We were kind of free range kids. I mean, no one really got upset when we were out in this tiny town in Iowa. Um, but the conscious memories are being taken on a ship and going through training. Um, that particular time was levitation. I remember the, the being that watched over us, um, that was sort of training us, um, you know, that the children, didn't really talk to each other, interact, that they were sort of there in their own world. I have very specific memories of the trees and where this craft came down. Um, and us going there, I remember it felt familiar. Um, so I guess, I guess there has been strange things that have happened to me, but it's interesting how our memories work and how, um, how we, sort of awaken at different times. It's, yeah. it's really been a mystery to me. Well, you know, you, yeah, you say, I, uh, you talk about levitating and craft and so forth. And then she, I guess some strange things have happened to me. Yeah, but I would say so. And I think so. Yes. You know, it's interesting. I also have, and I'm, we're not alone in this, uh, uh, memories of levitating in connection with this experience as a child. Wonderful memories. I, and I regret not being able to do it anymore. I've tried, but it is possible. In in a new world, I wrote about some actual stories of levitation, uh, like Joseph of Cupertino, who used to levitate during mass. He was very pious, 
and he would levitate in the church and he would become so light that the heat from the candles would cause him to slowly drift toward the candles and it made the bishop so so nervous that he would catch himself on fire in the candles oh. that he made him stay outside during mass because he couldn't do the mass <laughs> with this person floating slowly toward the candles in the air. And a detail like that tells you it really happened. Now, there are much, there's also Padre Pio, but the stories about Padre Pio are much more uncertain. Um, so it can happen. And what does it mean that it doesn't? Why are we like this? Why do we end up bound to the ground when we know from our childhood? That's not even real. What do you think the lesson of levitation is and how does it figure in your life now because you are, after all, in another way beginning to levitate again? Yes, I love that question because that sends me into the most meaningful part of all of this for me. You know, I'm a 25-year Buddhist practitioner and soon after, like even, gosh, it was like the second week when these experiences started, all of a sudden I was given these tantric practices to do, more along a different lineage than what I was from. And I couldn't understand it. Like every day I was given very specific instructions and I didn't know where it was coming from. You know, I, I would get concerned sometimes because I did go through a lot of ontological shock to begin with because this is <laughs> this is a lot to deal with, especially when you don't think you have any trauma in your life at all. Um, and all of a sudden, all this has been hiding, you know, um, gosh. So through these these meditations that I was given, they they were always there along with the experiences like it was almost creating a container or a vibrational frequency for me to hold it all and then i had weeks of um, this kundalini energy that was just bolting through my body it felt awesome it was a lot you know you have to come down off of that sometime but it was just the most amazing experiences because um to me all of this is about the development of our consciousness and I've been told that over and over. And, you know, I keep bringing in more practices in my life to hold all of this. And this whole idea of not knowing what we're capable of, I think that's one of the biggest messages. And when you, when you said that, you know, the point of levitation and the point of what we're capable of, I immediately thought of one of my experiences with Anne, your wife. Because when I was talking about some of these deep issues with my husband, just ah, two or three weeks ago, all of a sudden something came over me and I knew Anne was there and this was more unusual. Um, but she, she somehow showed me, I kept saying to my husband, she's showing me who we really are. Like it was all sensory and I, I can't explain what that is, but it was the sense of we are so much more than what we think we are. There is so much more to us that we can tap into. And it was such a powerful experience. You know, I was literally sobbing because it was so overwhelming and beautiful. And I didn't know what I was going to do with that. But it was like, this is what it's all about was kind of the message. And this is where we're all headed as humans. And we need to, you know, start realizing who we really are. 
And a week after that happened, I was in a support group where everyone was talking about death and their connections with those who had passed. A lot of it had been traumatic. Um, and Anne nudged me and she said, you know, share what, what I told you. And at the end of the meeting, I shared that, you know, that um, we are so strong and we don't realize it and that we can tap into this. This is what it's all about. We're all bringing each other home. We're all helping each other awaken. And it was such a powerful message. And she even had me share, you know, that those on the other side are there helping us and that, um, you know, we're all working together. Like all of this is one, one experience, right? And the most powerful ex expression of that was in the relief and the comfort that that brought others. And there was one thing that happened after that meeting, the moment I turned it off, I started seeing something manifesting. I'm sitting in the same spot right to the right of me. Something was manifesting in space. And I'd never seen anything like that before. And it was white, wispy mist, very, very fine um, lines of mist that would come in and out and come in and out. And then something that looked very cl uh, clear, but it was distorting what was behind it, that was also moving very, very fast. And this went on for a half an hour. And I was like, wow. I mean, first of all, that's really cool. I'd never seen anything like that before. And secondly, it felt so incredibly calm and silent the whole time. That That is a message for your heart and every heart that is hearing this, that inner calm, that place. Annie tells us how to reach that when she says the human species is too young to have beliefs. What we need are good questions. Because once you leave the world of beliefs and all of the angers and frustrations and demands that it makes, you find that we are all actually very much at peace. Now, speaking of being at peace, free dreamlanders, Enjoy your own inner peace while you watch and listen to these commercials. Have you ever read Communion? Or have you never read Communion? It's out in a new edition. Very powerful, a subtly new cover that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us because they truly are. You can get it from the unknowncountry.com store as a Kindle, as a beautiful sumptuous paperback, or as an unabridged audiobook read by me. It's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read in full in audio format. And believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories into it, and I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion, listen to it, read it. Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. UnknownCountry.com. It's huge. It's much more 
than just a Whitley Strieber book site. It contains thousands of hours of interviews, meditations, podcasts of all kinds. My original hypnosis tapes are there. You can actually hear the moment that I discovered that I at least was not alone in this universe in the office of Dr. Donald Klein so many years ago. Whitley Strieber audiobooks, Communion, Transformation, The Secret School, Breakthrough, Majestic, and so much more powerful meditations. But more even than all that, it is a community of people who are either looking to gain contact or actually in contact now. There is no community like it in the world. It is absolutely unique. Contact really is happening here. That's what these shows are all about. That's what my life and this website are about. It's real, and it can be of enormous benefit to us individually and to mankind as long as we take our part and do it our way. This is what being a member of Unknown Country is about. So go to unknowncountry.com and subscribe today. Join us and join, very frankly, the future. Now, Anne, you're on, you've gotten on a, a journey and it's uh, your co-named Ann Streber is on the journey with you. And I know that to be true. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to show you some pictures, folks, that will prove to you that it's true a little bit later. Because Annie Streber is, I think, the only person ever to create an avatar for herself in the physical world before she died that she could later use. And that's, of course, the white moth. Now, I want to say this. Anne is a teacher. She's not particular about, she doesn't pick and choose. If you, if she comes in your life, if you see a white moth in an unusual situation in your life, just stop and say, hi, Anne, and see what happens. Uh, you may come into contact with her because she's here and she was a lovely teacher during her life. And in her afterlife, she still is a teacher. It was a part of her essence. And she's really good at it. So uh, you can enjoy being having Anne in your life. Um, but be careful because she's, all, she, she's a good teacher. And some of the lessons, like, you know, I'm, I'm fair game for really hard lessons. I get them all the time. So they can be hard. But in any case, let's go on, Anne, down the road that you're taking us, which is such a wonderful road. To be on. So I'm going to let you take it again from here. I know you have specific things that you'd very much like to say at this point. Well, I, I love that you, you know, tell me about Anne being a teacher because it, you know, I really see how she's teaching me. And I honestly feel like she's been there since the beginning of my awakening. Um, I would say one of my 
I don't know, fears or hesitation since all this began is anything that has to do with contact with spirits. I, <laughs> I was really nervous about that. Um, you know, when I came back from Yvonne Smith's training, um, I had a whole bunch of marks all over my left arm and all kinds of things that had happened to it. And I went into ontological shock, realizing for the first time, oh, this is actually real. Like, this is not imagination. This is not, you know, a mental health condition. This is not things that <clears throat> is part of a belief system. Like, no, 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 this is real. And now I have to figure out what to do. And when I came home, there was so much happening in my house and around me with the lights going on and off. Um, all kinds of electronics for the next several months were breaking. We had to replace them. The appliances in the house, you know, just everything. And when I first came home, I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, like, what has opened up? Like, is this some portal to hell? Like, there is, what else is going to be unleashed? You know, because we're, we're brought up with all of these movies that make spirit activity scary. And it, it is definitely something that can be very scary for people. And things can happen that, um, you know, none of this, we, we just don't understand. And, we, and sometimes things can happen that are very serious. And so I was worried that is something like that going to happen to me? Because I had heard the stories. So as I was moving through sort of shock and trauma, and I had lots of support to do that, and thank goodness, it's very important to talk about this stuff with others. Um, that was the biggest lesson I learned, you know, thinking that I have to keep everything private and I have to be the one to handle it because I'm the one who's usually helping others. I hadn't really needed help myself like this. Um, so that was a big lesson for me. But as I was moving forward, you know, there was just a lot of times where I felt like my parents were around. You know, I, I did have brief communications with them throughout my life. They died 20 years ago. And... Um, I was becoming acquainted with guides inside of my protection circle of these practices that I began doing. And I feel like I was gently led to understand some of the helpful spirits that are around me, you know, whether they're ancestors or guides, or I had Kali, the Hindu goddess, show up. I had no idea who that was. Um, had to look it up. And she's been a very big part of helping. But this whole idea, I was so confused as to why spirits were all of a sudden coming around when I had lots of ET experiences. And I've just been contemplating that um, this whole time. And I've continued to be gently led to see spirits as helpful. And Anne was probably the, I mean, I know she was the greatest teacher I had in that, um, to sort of see her come into my life. And not be um, so afraid um, and to kind of accept that relationship. You know, I'm still like, I don't want to bother her too much. But she does drop in and she will interact and, and answer questions. And I love that you said, she. you know, she, sometimes the lessons are hard because she does expect a lot. And I love that about her um, because... It's all about stepping up and doing our best and um, uh, opening up our consciousness and really pushing our will forward in terms of being open and surrendering to um, the kinds of things that can come into our life, both from people 
and from spirits that are that are um, in our trusted circle and also from guides that are in our trusted circle and to keep that circle tight and vetted and in protection and then um, we sort of have that freedom of surrender that they can really guide us to manifest these abilities but it was quite a mystery for a while what you know that ETs and us after we die um, like what is that about uh, there seems to be very close connections and interweaving of messages and things that we're working on um, where they come in their bodies are less dense than ours if you if you held one of the gray people in your hands in your arms it, it would almost be like holding air they're that they're very much less dense and the result of this is they're not so in, so deeply embedded in time and one of the reasons they're here is that because we are so embedded in time we have really 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 rich experiences every instant is new for us remember another thing that Anne said that's so important to understand this uh, uh, the moment is all we have now is life that's not necessarily true for them but when they are with us and interacting with us then it is more true and they can experience the sense of the new that is the essence of human life we never experience anything else and they have to really work for it so that's what this connection is all about and they are much more like our own dead than they are like us the living the physical ones and so this this there's a kind of three-way thing going on here and you mentioned uh, earlier things coming in threes the the aliens the grays also come in threes and this is a very ancient teaching the positive the 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 are the active the passive and the harmonizing the the, the active is us the physical ones the uh, passive is the grays waiting to be interact with us and to open us to open ourselves to them and the facilitators are our own dead that's how it's working that's what Anne is about is helping to facilitate this relationship so that when the relationship is done and it's working the all of us are going to be vastly more than we are now all of us vastly more that grays are our dead are and we the living the physical ones are too so this is what we're here for this is the the essence of the journey it's what contact is about and why Anne, at the very beginning when i had no idea what i was doing but she knew already very well what we were doing she said to call the book communion that's the the first book communion which incidentally folks uh, and i'm a horrible publicist it's out again 
in hardcover, uh, softcover, and as an audio book. And I think you, I'm not going to talk much about it, but you, you heard something from Anne Taylor, Tyler a little while ago about my voice. And it's a useful voice. Let me put it that way. And so if you listen to it, you'll find it useful. Okay. Now, let's. Let, I think it's time to sort of go on uh, uh, about your your white moth experiences. You've you've had a lot of them, and I want you to tell us how the white moth, how you first noticed the white moth, because this is important stuff. You have to notice it in order to bring her into your into the sphere of your own journey. So tell us a little bit about how your relationship with Anne started. Well, that's what I find really interesting um, because, like I mentioned, I, I'm i not someone who um, cultivates relationship with spirits or, you know, knows mediumship or any of that. And, you know, I felt her presence in the archive. And that, that weekend, there was a night when um, I was out with the friend who came with me to the conference. And that night, as we were saying goodbye, um, I felt Anne's presence again. You know, it was very similar to in the archive, but I didn't say anything. But the person I was with is highly psychic. And she immediately said, oh, I think Anne's here. And that was like validating to me from the outside to kind of trust what I felt. And so she just left and, and you know, said, you know, you can spend time with her and see what see what that's going to be like. And I just sort of sat in that same quiet stillness that is so calm and spacious. And I did ask her a question. I asked her, you know, why, why did you come um, to see me? Um, and I had this I can't say voice, um, communication inside of me that was what I call full body communication. Like I could understand some words, even though the words weren't spoken, but I felt it as emotions and in my body. And she said, because of your heart and mind. And that was another moment that just made me cry because it was like, um, you know, someone who's on the inside of you that can see you you know, that can see who we are as humans and, and wanting to connect like that is a very touching thing. You know, you kind of feel like you're just not worthy of, of, you know, connections like that, or, you know, for someone to notice. And the next morning when I woke up, um, I sat down in the same place where I was sitting when, when she said those things or delivered that message inside my body. And I looked up at the picture that was right there and it was an abstract blue, like dark blue and shades of blue, abstract um, geometric figures. But there was one white, uh, it was a perfect side view of a of what a moth would look like with the wings closed. I'm like, wow, I think that might have, <laughs> that might have been her. And so we were still at the conference. So I did tell you that story the next morning. We actually spent six hours together. I counted them up over the course of that conference. And, you know, I showed you that and you had told me, oh, yes, you know, this is how Anne visits. And I'm like, wow. And you showed me some other pictures that people had sent you and how um, this white moth is important to notice, like you mentioned. 
And one of the first, um, Anne told me I needed to send you an email every Sunday. So <laughs> I don't know how much you appreciate that, but I guess Whitley, you're getting emails from me every week. They're wonderful. <laughs> and I've, I have a lot of them sitting, sitting right, right here. And, uh, uh, they are lovely. I mean, and you do it with such faith and, and, and bearing, you know, you have a, a really good mind and a very big heart and also, but there's another thing that you have and that is the, you have will, you have the will to, to do this. You will work, you will work. And by the way, before we go another step, I want to just bring up Yvonne Smith briefly. Uh, because Yvonne is a facilitator in this from many, many years. And you can, let's see, her website, I believe, is uh, YvonneSmith.com. And uh, you can go to, yes, YvonneSmith.com and learn more about Yvonne's work because she's been out there almost alone doing this for a long time. And these uh, these facilitating groups that she does for other people in her field have been so important to us experiencers and um, Anne is obviously benefiting it. And to learn more about Anne's work, uh, it's Tyler Institute. Is it.com or.org? .com. Tylerinstitute.com. And on there, if you click on the little graphic in the middle of it, you will see, uh, some information about what she does, which now includes uh, anomalous experiences. Many people have profound, extraordinary experiences they don't talk about for fear of ridicule or being pathologized. And I think that is a very important concept, Anne, because the danger is that they will be pathologized. In other words, that they'll go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist who pathologize them. I'll give you an example of what I mean in my own life. I went to a neurologist, uh, not, it had nothing to do with any of this at all. And this whole subject was never brought up. And it, 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 it was about, uh, an, it, an issue with some, uh, how some of the nerves in my legs were working, as I recall, which turned out to be not the problem, but my doctor wanted to diagnose anyway. And what does he do? He puts in my medical records delusional, even though he's never diagnosed me, he's never tested me in any way, simply because he knew my, me by my name. So we have to be so careful about that. There are an awful lot of bad people around, and they don't think of themselves as being bad people, uh, but they are. That's a very wrong thing to do. It's extremely unprofessional to do that. Now, let me ask you this. What if someone goes on uh, your website and tylerinstitute.com seeking your support, what will happen next? How will they go about doing that? Well, there's a contact form on my website if people are interested in contacting me. Um, the way that it works, um, I'm, a, I'm a licensed therapist in the state of Minnesota, so I do therapy and coaching with people in the state. 
Um, what I also do is coaching services um, across the United States and internationally, and I have a lot of clients in other locations. And so um, you brought up some really important points, and this goes to the heart of who I am and what I am going to do in this world for the rest of the time that I'm alive this round. And it's really, really important for um, those who are clinicians, licensed professionals, doctors, and anyone who works with experiencers as practitioners to have the chance to connect with each other. I am determined to be one of those people who connects professionals and practitioners of, at all levels of whatever, however they serve experiencers to start talking and communicating with each other. And having, I plan to run consultation groups of professionals because this is such an important cause because we all deserve support and help. I was, I was fortunate enough to have someone help me that was very experienced and very in tune with this. And that was Stuart Davis. And the experiencer group is where I um, went to support groups. I went to every single one of them the last eight months since this started. And it has just been so helpful for my learning curve, for processing through trauma, and everybody deserves the right to have that, to be validated. That's what people who are experienced in this anomalous field are. They're validating, they know how to walk people through and help them go from trauma to transcendence. I mean, that's what this journey is for us. And we need lots, we need thousands, we need tens of thousands of people who can help experiencers. So. My goal for the rest of my life is to develop the clinical materials, the clinical manuals for people who are training, who want to do this work. I want to be able to provide that training and supervision to people and develop materials for support groups. And I want to take my messages to the mainstream of where I came from. I want to be able to take the importance of being open to treating experiencers with attunement and respect to the people who are seeing others um, without that specialized practice to make this awareness something that has to happen so that experiencers can come out of the closets, they can feel more normalized, they can have the chance to process through trauma. And I'm determined to do that. So I'm even willing to take um, uh, in your audience, if there are clinicians, practitioners, doctors, neuroscientists, anyone who is interested in connecting to some kind of network that's going to have a long-term goal of developing this field, to also contact me so that they can get on the list for when I'm putting together consultation groups or just materials, um, that they can fill out that contact form too, because this is an important cause. And we need more people who are aware of this so that people don't get pathologized and it increases the consciousness of the helping field in addition to those who come to all of us for help. So I'm very grateful, you know, to be able to put that message out there because this is what I'm going to be doing. I will have my own podcast about how to help experiencers. That's all I'm going to talk about. And that is my goal from now on. Well, it's a, a terrific goal, and um, I will. In if you are in the uh, these healing sciences uh, and medical or otherwise, uh, do contact Anne at 
tylerinstitute.com. And if you're just wanting to experience her coaching, you can go there. And I believe you can't you can't do hypnosis for people outside of the state of Minnesota, or how does that work? I mean, there's a lot of different. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, there's a lot of different kinds of hypnosis. And so um, what I do is healing hypnosis and that heals trauma. And that can be done outside of the state of Minnesota through coaching. And that is available. At the moment, I'm not doing regression. When I do regression with anybody, it will be in the context of long-term relationships. I think it's a healthy way to um, do any kind of regression is in a long-term relationship and where it's very specifically integrated. Um, so that's, that's my practice right now. Okay, great. Well, now we have come to the end of the first hour of our time with uh, with Anne. Now, in the third half hour, we're going to get into uh, Anne and her husband, who is, of course, very supportive of her work, and my Anne. And we're going to show you some wonderful pictures of the white moth in action. And why we'll talk very in detail about exactly why the white moth was felt it was so important, why Man Strieber felt it was so important to emphasize this particular part of, of this end's experience. So, uh, free dreamlanders, as always, I do hope you subscribe very few of you do, my goodness, only one or two a week. And that's because we give so much free that you don't really need to. But remember that this is all dependent on support from the website. Without that support, it all goes away. So even though you don't really need to subscribe to get the gist of these shows, you do need to subscribe or you will end up, there will be no gist at all. There will be no shows. So go over to unknowncountry.com and click on the subscribe tab. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by unknowncountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host, and I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.